I do hope Bear League is going to last longer than the 72 hours the other one is lasting yes, at the moment. It's, so. it's falling apart rapidly over there at the moment. So the perceptive among you will notice that I'm the one in the hot seat today uh, and not Mr. Darmar as he usually is, and that's for good reason. We have reached the most important team on our off-season schedule tour around the NFL, and that is, of course, the Washington football team. I know Jake will do his best to tear us down. It's just simply not true. Fans as Fo Giants fans always do. So I've brought in the big guns to help me out. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tay and Todd from the aptly named Tay and Todd Washington Football Podcast. Guys, it's great to have you on with me. Thanks so much for having us. No problem. Thank so you. We normally, we normally start off these shows with a little rundown of last season. If you guys want to let me know what you thought of last season, whether it's on the coaching side, maybe some games that stood out. I know for me, the Eagles, Dallas and Steelers were big wins for us last season. I want to know what you guys thought of the season and things that stood out. It was definitely a, a COVID year because they were one and five and then they were two and seven and then they finished seven and nine. So it was, it was, it was one of those years where they had reached the point where I said, okay, they're bad. We'll be in position to get a quarterback. And I was content with that. And then they around and it was like they're competing for the playoffs and I had to suddenly switch my emotions another way which is not very easy to do but in the end it was a fun year I think more than anything just being able to contend for the playoffs down to week 17 is fun anything less than that is is just terrible so it was a fun year and I appreciate that I had the same feeling as you I thought um as a Giants fan it came down to that last game for us as well right. um with obviously the the football team against the Eagles which they tanked I'll forever be sore about that one <laughs> but however it does feel that little bit of retribution that I get because now the, the football team are in that really awkward position where they have uh, three quarterbacks <laughs> yeah. and not one of them is NFL level <laughs> yeah I'm envious of uh, your draft spot but we can talk about that later <laughs> yeah and I want to back talk I want to back Todd on that. It was a it was an interesting year. You know, you go from the name change in the offseason to uh, Ron Rivera with cancer to Dwayne Haskins to um, it, it was just so much, you know. And then I look back at the what I think turned the season around was the actually against the Giants. We went for it on uh, what was it the two point conversion and we failed. But I think that kind of shaped the mentality of a Ron Rivera culture team and it kind of showed like, hey, we're going to fight. We may lose. But I'm going to show you that we're going to teach these guys how to win. And the team just took on his um, his mentality and his and his culture by it was just wonderful. And that's what I loved about it. I love the Steelers game. 
I love the the end of the year. I love Chase Young. And it was just we started to see that young talent kind of expand. And we're a really young team. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think for me it was the big standout that we we looked much tougher this year than we have in previous seasons. And I definitely put that down to Ron. He's known as Riverboat Ron for a reason. He goes for it. Uh, and that's great to see our football team do stay competitive, stay in those games, like you mentioned, right. Todd, and, and be competitive. And I agree with you guys. It was such a weird year. Obviously, I don't know if any other team went through as much as the Washington football team did. Some of the stuff that even kind of gets for, forgotten, like it was only the, the last preseason, we we dropped the name. Then obviously, Coach Rivera came out with cancer. Uh, I think he did an excellent job last season. I want to know what you guys thought overall of his his coaching performance. I thought he was. I thought he was good. Um, I thought he was. You know, he made some decisions that people hated early on. Like he said, he was protecting the team by not, you know, uh, maybe fighting or using timeouts in the last few minutes. Um, there was the fourth and thirteen attempt against the Ravens, testing Dwayne Haskins. People thought it was weird. It was weird, uh, but I didn't mind it. But overall, he was consistent. I think he was aggressive throughout the season, which I loved. He was clearly, you know. He and any of the decisions he made that people on the outside questioned, he didn't communicate his thoughts or his intentions to us, and he doesn't have to. But the locker room seemed to be very much tuned and aware of his mindset and why he was doing what he was doing, and that's all that matters. So I thought he did a great job. Um, obviously, he can improve, and I think he said he's gonna work a little more closely with the coordinators, but because of the cancer, he, he couldn't. But you can't ask for much more than that with you know a first year and an abbreviated offseason and a bad quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, I'll back that. He he did a wonderful job, and I, I love Ron to death. He's he's the first guy who, if I were to meet him in person, I would call him coach. You know, and not even I don't even play for the man. You know, I, I don't get paid <laughs> for watching, but I, I just respect him so much, man. And and just the way he 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 talks to the players, and you could just sense that family. No leaks. He's about his business. He keeps it. He keeps everything honest. We don't even like Todd said he doesn't care what we know. He wants the people in the locker room to know that he, that he has their utmost respect. And I think he did a wonderful job and I love what he's building. He's building a fantastic culture here in Washington. And um, I'm so thankful that he chose us out of all the teams. Right. Yeah. yeah I always respected him in, in Carolina as well. I always thought he did a great job there. Uh, one thing you touched on as well, Todd was uh, our quarterback situation last year. We're, we're one of the few teams who managed to get to the playoffs using four quarterbacks over the course right. of the season. It was pretty dramatic. Uh, we also saw the straw that broke the camel's back in Mr. Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> he finally got caught. Is that something you guys were uh, expecting, glad of, looking forward to, or were you guys feeling a bit sorry and kind of wanted him <laughs> to make it a little bit here? I mean, he was a hometown guy, so that would have been a nice narrative, but I guess it wasn't. Yeah. It would have been great. It would have been fantastic. Um, I'm going to I'm going to do the more uh, diplomatic uh, political response. And I wasn't necessarily happy when he got released, but I wasn't sad either. Uh, it was I was definitely rooting for him throughout the offseason. You know, the videos thought he was going to be great. Um, but you kind of started to see pretty immediately that it kind of just wasn't there. And so I'm the for me, the goal of the season one of the main goals was not for Dwayne to be the franchise quarterback. It was to find out if he is. And we found that out. People hated that he was benched after week four. I said, he hasn't shown anything to show. He hasn't done anything to show. He should keep starting. 
And we found out at the end, we got complete ultimate closure, which I think some people really needed. So I'm glad that we moved on, that we're not going into this next offseason saying, well, maybe Dwayne, uh, maybe they're still, no, it's clear he's gone. Let's move on. I, I love that. That was a huge check mark off the box of a, off the to-do list. Now the bigger one is to find the actual quarterback. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Dwayne, we, man, we were the biggest Dwayne supporters. If you followed us in the beginning, when we first started, Todd and I were the biggest uh, Dwayne supporters and, and um, it just kind of fell off towards it. You know, Ron had a, a unique opportunity. He got to start four quarterbacks. Um, this year and um, people questioned him at the time but now you look back and nobody's really questioning him because you know you look at Dwayne it just didn't work out there you look at Kyle it just um, you know that situation he got hurt then you go to Alex then Alex he does well then you go to Taylor Heineke and he got a chance to evaluate all four of those quarterbacks and um, he, he was in a unique situation while doing that we were also winning games um, for the most part winning the division but uh, Dwayne, uh, it showed early on, he, he struggled with accuracy. He struggled with um, decision-making. And um, I, honestly, I, I, I was frustrated. And I'm just glad that we move on, moved on. And I'm glad we don't have a, a coach who's blind to the fact that it wasn't the, the talent around them because they, they produced. Logan Thomas produced when, when he had other quarterbacks in there. It was the, the problem was the quarterback. And I'm glad we were able to move on. No, you don't get to see a, a first-year head coach do quite a bit is have that ability to to uh, evaluate that many quarterbacks and especially what you do with like a, a second-year quarterback that was picked in the top in the first round like Dwayne Haskins to give him that chance to show you he could be the guy on that fourth and 15 which you mentioned to uh, Todd that uh, yeah. but he didn't take that chance and so you got no. a really good picture of who he was as a quarterback right. maybe right. he could grow maybe not but that was something you had a good sign of at, at the uh, at that time yeah and it was affecting your ability to evaluate other players at other positions too so it was just yeah yeah that's a good point do you think uh, Haskins was uh, late to his meeting getting cut by Ron Rivera because he was taking <laughs> selfies outside his meeting uh, I definitely think it's possible. <laughs> definitely not out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> he may have been at the strip club. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, I want to ask about, because probably, well, you've made a lot of uh, free signings that I'm sure Fionn's going to get into there soon. But the one that I wanted to ask about is still in the quarterback position. And that is, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitztragic, as, as Jake likes to call him. But, you know, it, it like, Obviously, every every fan will know that this is going to be sort of a bridging quarterback until the guy that you want comes along. And now, does that mean it's going to be the guy in this draft, or would you be happy to wait till next season to reevaluate things then? I think this is this is one area where me and Tate tend to disagree. We agree on pretty much everything else, but um, I like that they signed Fitzpatrick because he is clearly a bridge. There's no question. His age makes him a bridge. I would absolutely love for them to address it this year, though. My reasoning is, I mean, if they are able, my reasoning is we have needs at linebacker and no one's saying put it off till next year. We have a need at tight end. No one's saying put it off. We, we need to strengthen the offensive line. No one is saying put it off safety. No one is saying put off any other need till next year, except for the biggest one where they're saying just put it off till next year. And next year is just so unpredictable. There's a number of teams next year that could need a quarterback. I mean, you never know. Next year, the Seahawks may trade Russell Wilson and the Giants may move on from Daniel... Like you never know, you know, what could happen. So it could be just as bad next year. And the team could be in the similar spot where in the middle rounds, they need to trade up. So I can see, you know, 
I can, if the, if the opportunity doesn't present itself, don't overpay, but I would love for them to do it this year. And then now you have the opportunity to let that guy sit and learn. He's not forced to play immediately. So I'm all in on this year. Tay may be different. Yeah. I have a question before, before I go forward. Is Fitz, Fitzpatrick the best quarterback in the division? No, let's no. not forget about <laughs> Daniel Turnover, Joe. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Hey, now, hey, I will say, I'm Miles. Boy, I'm Miles. I will say, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of Fitzmagic, but he certainly just joined the wrong team in the, the wrong <laughs> division for me. But what I will enjoy is watching him win you two games. Everybody's riding the Fitzmagic roller yeah. coaster, and then he throws then, four interceptions in a single oh, game. Oh, yeah. You go up and then you go down. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> tragic roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm conflicted on this, and I, I bounce back and forth. Uh, ideally, I would love a quarterback this year and kind of develop him underneath, you know, Fitzmagic as he is the bridge. But the price seems like it's so high this year because everybody's in it for a quarterback. So I'm like, well, let's build and then maybe look at a Davis Mills or a Kellen Mond or who I don't like um, and, or Kyle Trask or, or somebody else in the later rounds because I think the – we're, I mean, on offense, I think we're pretty much starting to form a, a nucleus, especially a young guys. And I think if you get a guy behind that, that can sit behind Fitzmagic for a year, say a Trey Lance, and you, you, you go into next year and it's like, okay, he has all these weapons at his disposal. And it's like, man, what, what his, his potential automatically rises. So I'm conflicted here. Um, I love Trey Lance. I would love for us to get him, but I think the price is too steep and um, it, it's hard. It's hard. Like we're in a rough spot. We're in a rough spot. I kind of wish we would have lost the division, but at the same <laughs> token, I'm glad we won it, but it's like, ah, you know, it's tough. It's just the 49ers <laughs> fault for just basically <sighs> destroying the market when it comes to right. draft choices, just to get uh, Mac Jones, you know, <laughs> to, you know, you spend all that draft capital on Deshaun Watson or Mac Jones, like it's it's yeah. really that difficult of a decision to make, isn't it? Right, right, right. Do you think they're going Mac Jones at three? I think they are. I think you I think hope. they are the victim of how you guys were for Dwayne Haskins. It was pre-draft hype. You know, mm. I think Mac Jones, he wasn't nothing was really said much about him during the season. He was like, okay, end of the first round, start of the second round. And then now that the season ended, I don't know where all this hype has come from for Mac Jones, that now he's a top-tier quarterback, that he's better than Fields, that he's better than Trey Lance. And then, obviously, the, the 49ers are selling their future just to see if he's going to be a hit, where I actually think Fields is probably a better fit for the 49ers with his with his ability to run as well as throw, where Mac Jones, I think, when he senses pressure, he just gets way too nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be the most exciting part of the draft is what they do at three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While we're on the draft, I think it's, it's a very interesting scenario for the Washington football team this season. I was listening to you guys and your breakdown of the different mock drafts and you were kind of grading the excitement level. And I don't really know of any other team that has so many players mock drafted to it. We're across the board from offensive tackles you've never heard of to (laughs) Monte Smith, who has no chance of landing to us, (laughs) all the way up to to Trey Lance. So uh, where you guys landed in your podcast, obviously, was was Trey Lance seemed to be the most exciting guy. Do you think that 
should be something we can stretch you. I know we've touched on whether we should or we shouldn't go up, but is he the type of talent, let's ask that, if we did go up, do you expect him to be able to perform at the NFL level, given he played in that kind of slightly lower level of college football? Yeah, um, I'm going to so I'll start off by saying yes. Uh, the reasons being, you know, you have the all the physical traits in terms of the arm strength, not, not just arm strength, but arm talent. Um, accuracy, which I know his accuracy is not as great as some of the other guys, but when I watch him, I don't see concerns about his accuracy. And he's a really good downfield thrower. So in terms of a passer, he has everything you're looking for. His mechanics can be tightened up, but they're not terrible. We've seen much worse. And then you look at what he can do running the ball. So all of that athletically is great, but then you off the field, leadership, maturity, work ethic, that's all there too. And then my question becomes how many guys have all the physical tools and then have all the mental tools, have all the intangibles and still fail. You know, that that's, you don't see a lot of that. We talked to his best friend and roommate and he said, he's up at 7.00 AM watching film. He's, he's taken over the meetings. He's leading the meetings. Even now that he's not there anymore, he's texting his friend, making sure he's up when he needs to be. And so that stuff is, you know, that's the stuff Dwayne Haskins was missing along with some other things. So I watch him and I see what he did. He played at a high level in a good situation, but he still dominated, which what else can he do, but dominate. Um, and then on top of that, just, just mobile quarterbacks, running quarterbacks can automatically have more success more immediately because of the dual as, I mean, look at RG3 in 2012. We know what happened, but there was some ego concerns. There's some, there some relationship head coach issues there. So if Trey Lance can come in and he can be a dual threat that can make all the throws, and then it makes it so much easier to scheme the throws for him, absolutely. And I think Scott Turner would just have a blast doing that. So I am, I am all in on, on uh, Trey Lance, despite the limited experience and the SCS level of play. I really do think he has what it takes to be good if a team uses him properly. Yeah, I second that. Um, he, I think we're like the perfect situation for him only because we have that bridge quarterback and we have young weapons and he's 20 years old, so he can grow with these weapons. And it's like we have a new coaching staff who he can kind of grow with. And it's not like it's being forced on this coaching mm -hmm. staff to pick this guy. Right. Which is and another I, big thing. Huge thing that, that Todd always talks about. And I think, honestly, I think it's the ideal situation for, for Trey Lance. And if we, if we were to get him, I would be content with letting him sit for the whole year. Although I think he would end up taking over because of just the intangibles that Todd talked about, how he's in the office, he's working out seven, he, how he leads the meetings and how he just has that, that, that work ethic that we have lacked with quarterbacks um, for the past couple of years, you know? So um, I think Lance, I would come, if, if we drafted Lance, I think I would be, I would be thrilled. I, I think you, you start your dynasty with, with that pick right there, honestly. Okay, so we're going to take it really quick back down to ground level. Let's say we don't trade anywhere. We're picking at 19. Mm -hmm. Two of the guys I'm most interested in in your guys' analysis was the linebacker out of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, mm -hmm. and then or Rashad Bateman. Which would you rather, if it came down to it, who should we pick mm -hmm. out of those two guys? Direct comparison. Okay, so I really like Rashad Bateman. The only reason I'm going to say... Oh, man, that's tough. Okay, I like Rashad Bateman a lot, but I'm going to say Ousu Koromo. If they pick him, they know how to use him. That's what I'm assuming, because you got to know how to use him. But if they pick him, they know how to. And I think that his impact on the defense can be more than Bateman's on the offense because you signed Curtis Samuel, you have Terry McLaurin. But then also 
the depth at the wide receiver position in the draft is high. And so I think you can get a player who can help you out at the wide receiver position in the second or third more easily than a linebacker who could help you out like Usukormo in the second or third, if that makes sense. But I love, I do love Bateman. He is, uh, he is up there and he's, yeah. Someone compared him to Allen Robinson, which I love Allen Robinson. So that's a great comparison. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm hoping Parsons drops there at 19, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm, I'm really hoping that, but I think you got to go linebacker there. I think you get someone like Bateman. Uh, I think he's going to go second round. I think we may have an opportunity to get him in the second round um, or, or someone that, equivalent to that type of talent I think Owusu I think he's just I think I mean some some people say he's on the same level as Isaiah Simmons and Simmons went I think seven top 10 last year so if you can add that piece to your defense I think that just makes it that much more dynamic and you see what the linebackers could do you look at Tampa last year and how their linebackers yeah. literally shut down games yeah. Uh, because of their speed and because of their physicality. So I, I could see that. I would like I would like Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Mostly because, like you mentioned, Tate, he's probably the best value for money. There's very few other linebackers projected up there in the draft. So I think you get the best value at that position at the time. Yeah. Um, we I did mention earlier we've we've ha- we've been mock drafted a whole load of players, quite a lot of them on the offensive line. Uh, mm. We've had some decent players at the offensive line, not just last year but in the past. Brandon Sheriff signed his franchise tag, but he mm. didn't sign a contract extension. Does that worry you guys, especially given what happened to Trent Williams? Yeah, uh, it definitely does. I I don't think he will resign here. I think that they are going to draft someone in the mid rounds uh, at the interior line position and hope that he can develop or see maybe what Sadiq Charles can do, how they like Wes Schweitzer. It does concern me that he won't resign, but the one advantage to him not resigning is that you won't be paying an offensive guard $80 million. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) there are some advantages to it. Um, And, you know, if he, if he has, if this year on the, on the tag, he's, he gets hurt again, then you kind of can see maybe how that was a good decision, but yeah, it does concern me that he won't resign. I I don't think he will. Cause from what I understand, they offered him top guard money and he didn't take it. So, but that's fine. Yeah. I think that situation you're, you're, you're in a good spot because you get to develop a guy while you have him on contract for a year. So they'll probably draft the guy I'm assuming in the mid rounds, let him develop on the sheriff and then, once he leaves, you also, you also we'll get, have Keith Ismail too. Oh yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. And that's something I think we've addressed a little bit that we've been missing in the past is some depth on the line a little bit. Right. I think in the past we've had great starting lines, but we mm-hmm. really, really struggled. I can think even five years back, just keeping even one consistent line going, and there yeah. was real questions over the strength and conditioning, and it's again fed into that Trent Williams situation where he wasn't happy with the carries being given. So yeah, uh, I hope you guys agree that probably Ron Rivera and his culture is definitely doing a lot to, to help that atmosphere in, inside mm-hmm. the, the camp. Yeah, I think so. It makes you wonder, you know, it definitely makes you wonder why a guy like Sheriff maybe does, maybe he doesn't want to be there, you know, mm-hmm. but if he doesn't want to be there, then Rivera has said, well, you know, we want guys who want to be here. So if you don't want to be here, that's fine. You saw uh, Quinn Dunbar leave. You saw Trent Williams leave. So yeah, I think that it definitely is creating that atmosphere. But since it's only year two, they're still turning over the roster. You're still finding out who are the guys that are saying, we're in this for the long haul. We want to see this through. And the guys who are saying, uh, I'm ready to go. So 
but they're going to get there for sure. And I think by year three, you're going to see a real, a real core of guys that, that they brought in probably 35 guys uh, that weren't on the roster in 2019. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you guys have started talking about this core that we're developing in the Washington football team uh, of the two big free agents that we've signed, excluding Mr. Ryan Fitzmagic, Curtis Samuel and William Jackson. Who do you think is going to be have a bigger impact on the team this season? Who do you expect? Who are you most excited to see? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'm going to go with the one whose impact will be easier to quantify. I'm going to steal the easier answer from you, Tay, and go with Curtis Samuel, just because we'll be able to see it more so with our eyes. Um, I just think that it'll having Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's going to sling the ball around, and um, and Scott Turner is going to call out a passing plays. He's going to let them let them sling the ball around, and so I think we'll see a lot from Curtis Samuel. A lot of movement before plays, a lot of get him the ball, let him go. Um, and with 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 William Jackson, he could have a huge impact, and it, he could his impact could be that no one throws the ball to his side. And so you say he's not having an impact, but he is having a big impact. No one's throwing the ball at him. So <laughs> I'm going to say Curtis Samuel though. I'm, I'm going to go William Jackson. I cannot wait until we play the New York football giants and that he <laughs> shuts down Kenny Galladay. They overpaid. You ain't going to shut down Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Devontae Smith's going to be open. Saquon's oh, going to be open. Yeah. We're going to be running everywhere. <laughs> if Saquon's on the field, he'll be open. Yeah. That is a good point. <laughs> we got that Devontae Booker from the Raiders. You know? <laughs> right. I like William I have, Jackson a lot. I have maybe a little bit of a, a controversial question, given that we're Washington fans and we shouldn't really be talking about uh, <laughs> downfalls. But do you think is something we really need to suggest to, to fix, or at least it strikes me as a kick returner, a punt returner. The Sims has had a go at it last season. They dropped many footballs, way too many for <laughs> a professional football player. Is that something we really need to figure out, given that he can get you a lot of yards for free? You just That's a, actually a phenomenal question. I think that's the most underrated need on the team. I think, actually, I th yeah, I think that is the most underrated need. I think that in number two tight end. But I think that is huge because – Having a bad punt returner is a problem, can lead to losing games. Having an average one can keep you from losing games but not help you win. But having a good one can actually help you win games, you know, with field position, with touchdowns. Last one we had was Brian Banks in, like, 2009. Santana Moss, you know, dabbled in it. Deshaun Jackson didn't really do much for us in that regard positively. It's a huge need. I'm glad you brought it up because um, they did sign someone. I can't remember his name. They signed someone. But I'm wondering if a, if a wide receiver they look to bring in in the middle, if, if what will separate one guy from another will be his ability to return punts and kicks. A guy like Dwayne Eskridge who can do kick returns um, over a guy who doesn't do that at all because it's a huge need. And, I mean, the, the team has just not been a very good special, uh, special teams team for years. It'd be mm -hmm. great to have someone who can at least catch the ball. It'd be even better to have someone who can do something once they catch it. So yeah, that's a huge need. Great question. So infuriating yeah. to watch your kick returner either drop the ball or take it out of the end zone and get to the 50 yeah. yard line. And yeah. Get just take the or knee, let it man. bounce and it lands at the one. It's just, and I hold my breath every time. I'll punch. Every I hold my time. breath every single time. <laughs> was was the know, guy I'm, Adam Humphreys or DeAndre Carter? 
Carter. Carter was Carter the one they said yeah, is yeah. a specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if he's good, but he's it's what he does. Kadarius <laughs> uh, Tony. They met with him three times so far from what I've seen. That's mm-hmm. a name to look out for. Um, I think they want to use him if they were to draft him. I think they would use him as, as that the returner and they want to use him on, on offense. So I know they met him, they met with him three times so far. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. And looking forward into next season, we'll be done with the draft, done with the free agents. Let's say we add a couple of pieces here and there. What do you guys, uh, well, let's start with what do you guys expect? For me, it's got to be another division division title, given we're playing basically no one next season. <laughs> the, the Daniel Jones useless, Dak Prescott is getting overpaid money to do absolutely nothing. And Ezekiel Elliott just runs around in the backfield, losing yards. <laughs> And God knows what's happening up in Philadelphia. So surely, God, we've got to win the division, right? Yeah, it may be another seven and ten, you know, because seventeen games, seven and ten, eight and nine division. Right? I definitely think that the division won't be strong again. Even if Dak Prescott's back, that their defense was still given twenty nine, I think, point six points a game. But over the first five, six games, or more, for more than half of the season, they're giving up like 33 points a game defensively. Even if they improve that number to 27, you're still giving up 27 <laughs> points a game, right? So I think the Cowboys' defense is still going to be a problem. I think the Giants are, are all Daniel Jones. It's all, all comes down to Daniel Jones. If he has a big year, I think they're going to be good. If he doesn't, Galladay and Saquon and, and um, um, Slayton are all getting wasted. And then the Eagles, I'm not even worried about at all. So I think for me, it's at least – competing for that i think that's why what i would expect which is why i want a quarterback this year because i think you're going to be contending for the division having a, a later first round pick um at least not falling backwards in terms of wins if you can at least duplicate the number of wins which is which is what looks like with what looks like a much tougher schedule right? we play everyone who went to the playoffs and, and the <laughs> super bowl last year i think that that is you know i think that's uh, impressive so, yeah, that's my uh, – just don't take a step back. Take some kind of step forward, seven, eight, nine, and compete for the division again. Should be doable. Yeah, same. I think I think we'll compete for the division as well. I think that defense is just going to get better and better. And the coaching is another year in the system. I think uh, – I'm, I'm going to say they're going to repeat the division. I, I really believe that, depending on Fitzmagic. Right. It does depend on Fitzmagic. Yeah, it does. You guys yeah. will get a – a great laugh out of this. Me and Fionn were on a podcast and I inadvertently said that the Giants would sweep the football team in the upcoming season. So I believe that. I have to believe that, but I'm not sure Fionn was so bought in on that one. I got to be honest with you, Jake. I, I can't say anything back to you because Daniel Jones is 4-0 against Washington. He's like 7-30 and like 30 in his career, but he's 4-0 against Washington. So I can't say anything because he's been killing us. Hopefully not, though. Hey, I, I love Daniel Jones, too. I want y'all to keep him. For the rest Me, too. Of the I just want him to keep him for the opposite reason that you want to keep him. It's right, so right. scary to see him have the ball for more than two and a half seconds because you don't know whether, A, he's going to get hit and he's going to fumble the ball, or, B, he's going to throw it and it's going to get intercepted. Although, yeah. Evan Engram might have been a a big hand in, in all of those. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Fair point. That's a fair point. But we're not talking about Giants. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask, actually, because we're, we're talking about the schedule next year, it is going to be an awful lot tougher for Washington because you do have the AFC West and the NFC South, I believe, next year to face, mm-hmm. as well as the division winners. So it's sort right. of two questions. So is it still, I know you got the three teams that you're going to face 
uh, they, they're fine. You know, like you mentioned about them already, and there's no worries about them, especially the Giants, who will probably be a dumpster fire this year. <laughs> <laughs> I know you only have Russell Wilson next year, so you may walk off this podcast. <laughs> uh, but no, but but it is going to be a lot tougher going up against these sides. And secondly. Um, what what you mentioned briefly there about the 17th game, are you in favor of the 17th uh, regular season game this year? So the second one, yes, I am in favor of 17th. It's, but they got rid of the preseason game. And so, yeah, I'm all I'm all more football for sure. Um, I'm not a player, so, you know, it doesn't affect <laughs> my body. <laughs> uh, and also uh, they, you know, they'll like they'll balance it out with the amount like they maybe if the players played a quarter or two quarters in the preseason you take that is it really a full game is it really three quarters two quarters in the season the only thing that's weird about it is no more eight and eight you know that's going to be weird as far as the season I mean the schedule goes the one I think upside that we have is that you look at the schedule the toughest teams we anticipate are the Bucks Chiefs Seahawks and Packers that like and, and the Bills that stand out and the the Packers and the Bills, we play there, which to me is always an advantage for them, especially the Packers. The Seahawks, to me, and I know you're a fan, maybe you can attest this, or maybe <laughs> I'm wrong, they definitely feel different away, especially on the West Coast, I mean, especially on the East Coast, than they do at home. Because I know they're, they're unstoppable at home. You know, so, actually, their record traveling to the East Coast is strangely really good. Gotcha. They okay. travel really well for those early games. Gotcha. I don't know what Pete Carroll does. He must like <laughs> the week before he must change all their clocks back or something right. like that. So they get used <laughs> right, to the probably. time or something. But right. like every time they go over to the East Coast, I think it's like uh, I think last like few years, it's like 27 and six, the record or something like that. Okay, seem yeah, to do yeah. very well. Now I'm cursing myself right now because I'll lose <laughs> every game on the East Coast next season. Is that also losing season? to the Colt McCoy-led Giants? <laughs> that was at home, though. That wasn't, that wasn't in, the, that wasn't in New York. That was at home. We, for, that was we messed weird. ourselves up at home. That was weird. But yeah, uh, and the Seahawks are a very good team. It just seems like we always play the Seahawks close and then we lose. Uh, but And then the other thing is just looking at it now, it, it looks daunting, but hopefully they don't give us, you know, the first five weeks, Bills, Packers, Chiefs, Bucks, Seahawks. Because then, yeah, that's probably an 0-5 start. But we saw the teams, you know, the teams start to flame out or they start to deal with some injuries and then things start to look a little more level. So it is daunting, but... I, I can see like six to best, best case scenario, 10 wins. Like if they really, if things go their way, like if the ball literally bounces their way in a couple of games, but I'm definitely for 17. Yeah. The NFC South, I'm not really scared of. I mean, you got Drew Brees gone and right. uh, you, you got Falcons defense is still is, is, exactly you know. <laughs> Carolina's. <laughs> who else? Who else is in? Who else the is Bucks. The Bucks would be the one that you'd the be Bucks. afraid of. <laughs> but we want them. We want them again. We, we want, want them. them. Yeah, we can. We right. We, we do want so them. Close. Right. We do We're want so them close. again. Uh, yeah. So the, the schedule doesn't really phase me. I mean, obviously, you have the Chiefs, um, AFC West. We play Denver. Yep. Denver uh, yeah. So Chargers. I don't think Raiders. Yeah. So those are those aren't really intimidating. I look at the Seahawks. They're tough, obviously, and and a couple of the Bills and the Packers. Those are going to be tough games, but. I just think the way that the culture that Ron has, has put in place and the fact that they're coming in as the division champs, I think they're going to have that, that edgy, that, that swag on them this year coming in. I, I could see 10 wins and I love the 17th game. I'm all for more football. Like, like Todd said, it's just going to be weird saying, Oh, we're 10 and seven or we're six and 11 or, you know, five and 12. That's going to feel so weird, weird. But, <laughs> but Hey, 
I'm 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 loving it. I love the foot. I love football. And, hey, and I feel like you're looking football. through the next season in burgundy tinted glasses, much <laughs> like I look like the Giants <laughs> next season. <laughs> blue glasses. <laughs> yeah, you know we'll we'll uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Speaking of burgundy tinted glasses, I've one last question before I let you guys go, and that is maybe the most important one I've asked all show what should we do with the name i think my personal vote is to stick with the washington football team i kind of like it it's a little (laughs) bit different obviously we're europeans we're used to no like tag name at the end so it doesn't sound too weird to us what do you guys think there's been a lot of ideas floated out any ones that stand out for you guys yeah there's definitely some that stand out positive and negative washington football team is in the middle for me i like i don't hate it but i think the reason i don't want it is because i see so many people say we need a name. And so I don't want people to be saying that forever, feeling like we don't have a name. So uh, I'm definitely less passionate about the specific name. Warthogs is what is probably the one I hate the most because it's just like, I think first of all, I hear wart, which is, you know, no, that's (laughs) negative. That's nasty. Hogs in general are not animals that people like, or, you know, or Mm. so then you combine those two and then it's like, okay, you just combine two kind of not great things to make one (laughs) ultimate great. And then Sentinels is one that I just really can't get behind. It just makes me think of the matrix. Um, For me, I think the number one choice for me is, is it's not red wolves. It's wolves. It's random. I realize that it's random, but I just, I feel like it's cool. And though it has nothing to do with DC, the average fan who's not even a fan of Washington who just sees it, who hears it will say, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know? So that's kind of where that's how I look at it. I want it to be received well by mostly everybody, including Washington fans. So yeah, uh, Warthogs is the one that I just really, I just really can't stand, but I wouldn't hate Washington football team or club or DCFC. Uh, I, I think the reason why we like Washington football team is because we won with the name. I think if we're like, Oh, and 16, like, oh, let's change the name. You know, <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> A, a name that I've been like the last couple of days I've been thinking about that I really love a lot. And I heard him use it in the winter soldier, uh, DC Marvel, um, the red tails. Really? I just, oh, yeah, I just, I just think it's so, I, I, it's weird because I, at first I'm like, no, I hate it. Then I heard him yeah. say it in the movie. And then I, and then I'm just like, man, the red tails, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, <laughs> it has a good, it has a, is there an old uh, like a fighter team that were Native it's a, Americans? The Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah. They were, they yeah, were yeah, black. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly. It. What? <laughs> we got to talk about this time because I'm starting to warm up to it, man. I thought we were on the same page with this. Tay, you're flipping. The I like the wolves. I like the wolves, but I want you see the wolves or red tails. It's really, it's really, really close. Or football club. Um, I'm, yeah. yeah. I saw a report somewhere that said. Uh, a name that was being considered was the Demon Cats. Is that a, is, is that a thing? <laughs> the Demon Cats. They if not, a... <laughs> if not, can can we get a petition or a, well, not a GoFundMe, but you know, a, a, an online petition just to get Washington called the Washington Ron Burgundies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not going to sign that petition. <laughs> pass it on, though. I'll pass the it Washington the Anchorman. Person. How about that, then? <laughs> it's going to be so, so fascinating to see. I just, I have no idea what it'll be. I, I'm curious to see how they'll announce it. And then just to see everyone erupt, either positively mm-hmm. or negatively. It's going to oh, be insane. It'll be both, no matter what. Yeah, right. Yeah. It will be both. It will be both. But I just can't wait. And then if it's something that nobody expected, then, you know, so it's it's probably 
it was my wedding day that I anticipated. And then now seeing what the name is, is probably the second most impactful <laughs> thing in my life. In the last few years. I cannot wait to see what it is, but I'll be a fan no matter what. I think that's a great place to wrap it up guys. Thank you very much for your time. It was my first time co-hosting. It's been a pleasure. You guys made it extra fun and extra easy before we leave it off. Where can our listeners find you guys? Uh, socials, podcasts, all that kind of thing. Let them know where, where they can find you. You can follow us on Twitter at Tay in the letter in Todd podcast. Uh, you can find our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, everyone just Tay and Todd podcast. And then also on YouTube, uh, we do film breakdowns and other videos. So that's Tay and Todd podcast. So if you just type in Tay and Todd anywhere, I think we are the only ones. So that's, that's one thing about having that name. So Tay and Todd. Yep. And thanks so much well, for having us guys. It was a, it was a blast. Thanks for reaching out. Yes. Hopefully we can get so, you back on again. For Absolutely. Sure. We'd love to have you on maybe before the sure. end of the season or during the season. We definitely talk to sure. Washington, yeah. Washington, whatever we're called. Yeah. Right. When they're right. called the Washington Anchorman, 60% of the time we win all the time. <laughs> Washington human beings. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Guys, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Again, like we said at the top, like and subscribe to us here at the Dynamo Podcast Network, you'll find the Under Center Podcast. If you prefer your podcasts in purely audio format, we are on Spotify, Apple, all those other good podcast networks. And you can find us under the Dynamo Podcast Network flagship there. Uh, all our podcasts will be there. If you want to follow us on socials, we're on Facebook under Under Center Podcast. And of course, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Under Center Pod as well. Guys, Dara, Jake, thank you very much for joining us. Tay, Todd, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm just realizing now I'm wearing the wrong color t-shirt for Undercover fans. <laughs> Undercover fans. <laughs> All right, guys. Literally. Stay tuned, guys, because when we come back, we are going to be talking everything New York Jets with the Weapons Hot Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center Pod. I am not your usual host, Dara Mar. Today, I am Jake Woolhead. Um, we are joined by two of the three blind mice, Fionn Malloy and Dara Mar. How are we doing today? Pretty good. You're only Jake Woolhead today or today you are Jake Woolhead? Well, it's Tuesday today. It's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Dara, how are you doing? Not too bad. You wish you were your Dara Mar this week. <laughs> With a beard like that, Dara, I always wish I'm you. Um, today, we are joined by CJ DeSimone by Weapons Hot, uh, the New York Jets fan broadcast. How are you doing today, CJ? Doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing We're fantastic. great. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Let me tell you, whenever I get to collaborate with other shows, uh, kind of spread the word about our little broadcast over here in... Uh, in the States. Uh, and, you know, not only that, but give you guys a little bit of exposure too. Uh, so that way we can turn people on to, to your show. It works out. It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we look forward to talking to you today. As we say, we're talking about the New York Jets. Um, however tumultuous their last season where it was. But if you're watching this on YouTube, could you like and subscribe to our videos? You'll find it on the Dynamo Podcast Network. Um, now, CJ, we'll just kick right into it. 
the 2020 season, not an ideal season for, uh, by all accounts for Jets fans. How did it go for you in terms of uh, wins, losses, coaching, the whole lot? Well, you know, a 2-14 record is basically, you know, uh, nothing short of disappointing, especially going into this season where we expected on the head coach Adam Gase uh, uh, for, you know, not only for this team to take a step forward, but also to kind of establish a little bit of relevancy within the AFC East. Needless to say, that didn't happen. Adam Gase got fired, in my opinion, way too late. They should have fired him, believe it or not, probably after game four of the season. So during the course of the season, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, ends up getting fired after the Raiders game, in which I wrote an article that I felt that the Jets had fired the wrong guy. So nevertheless, fast forward to this offseason, Adam Gase is gone, Greg Williams is gone, pretty much everybody from Gase's coaching staff, I mean, they have been uh, removed from the building, thank goodness. Um, I think the only thing they didn't do was burn the stadium to the ground just as a cleansing uh, <laughs> uh, you know, ri ritual just to make sure that whatever uh, you know, bad juju he left in the building is, is gone with him too. Yeah, That's no, because that... the Giants would have complained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> CJ, I am a Giants fan. And just so you know, my girlfriend is a huge Jets fan. And she just messaged me saying, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. That was the first game we had gone to see while we were in New York at that time. Um, oh, just wow. a, a little tidbit. Um, so, yeah, Adam Gase, obviously a uh, terrible coach, terrible hire. What did you think at the time? Well, I... Adam Gase was not the guy that I wanted to that wanted to be head coach. I mean, I originally originally the Jets had Matt Lafleur in. Um, they they wanted to uh, they wanted to pick his staff for him, and he was just like, "No, I want to pick my own staff if I'm going to take this job." Another person I wish they would have interviewed uh, was Todd Monken, who at that time was the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't even think that they even got around to uh, to interviewing him. But unfortunately, the New York Jets just have this tremendous uh, lack of persona, so to speak, of actually doing things correctly. So, and what I mean by that is, if you go and take a look at under the pretenses where Adam Gase was hired, Adam Gase was hired by Mike McCagnan, who was allowed to spend over $150 million in cap space, go through their entire NFL draft for that season three years ago, uh, actually two years ago, I'm sorry, and subsequently was fired after the draft. And I think pretty much the only good thing that came out of Adam Gase being hired as head coach was the fact that the Jets now have uh, general manager Do uh, Joe Douglas, who uh, cut his teeth underneath both Ozzie Newsom and also within the Philadelphia Eagles and has three Super Bowl rings to show for his trouble. So from where I sit, that's pretty much the only good thing that came out of the Adam Gase hire. So that being said, very much looking forward to the rest of this offseason, looking forward to the draft, excited about the Robert Sala hire, which I know you guys are going to talk about next. Uh, and just what the, what the future of New York Jets football is going to look like from this point on. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good segue to bring us into Salah, for instance, one bad coach to hopefully a coach that will be with you a long time. How do you feel? Did, was that the guy you wanted during the, the hiring process? Uh, Robert Salah was one of a couple of people that I had my eye on. Uh, Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for Carolina Panthers, was also somebody that I looked at. 
Um, a lot of people were kicking around Jim Harbaugh's name. Uh, I was very high on Eric Bieniemy, uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator. And the Jets actually interviewed Bieniemy and really didn't have a good interview with Joe Douglas. And, and you know, one of the things that I liked about the Jets head coaching um, hire this season was the fact that they really, really took their time with it. And Joe Douglas left no stone unturned. He took his time. He made sure that he had several different interviews with different candidates. Uh, I think uh, Robert Sala had like three different interviews um, before he was officially pegged as the head uh, as the head man for the New York Jets. And mind you, Sala was was ready to be nailed with two other jobs. So he had interviewed, I think, with the Washington football team um, that, at, as a potential head coach before they decided to hang on to Ron Rivera. And uh, I believe another place that he was looked at, I think he was looked at in Denver. So there were quite a few places that he was looked at and he was under consideration. So in my opinion, Jets got their man. Yeah, we were all very high on Robert Sala in our offseason review of the coaches. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, He's a he's a high energy guy, uh, brings a lot of passion, also brings a lot of uh, football knowledge to the table. And, you know, for him being a first time head coach, sure, there's going to be some growing pains and, and there's going to be some uh, some things that he may have to end up learning on the job. But I mean, just the fact that his defense made it to a Super Bowl on the Kyle Shanahan. He was, he was with the 49ers. They had a very good, very powerful, very attack-like defense. And, you know, they, they made teams, uh, teams' lives miserable that they played. So if the Jets can, again, improve upon their defense, and it just seems like the Jets' defense is not really the problem on this team. The problem is their offense. So uh, him bringing uh, Michael Floor over, which is uh, uh, Carolina Pan- – uh, uh, I forgot. Uh, no, uh, Green Bay Packers. Packers' uh, uh, young, younger brother over to run the offense, and he runs an offense very, very similar to Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how the players that we have here, the addition of Corey Smith, the addition of uh, 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 Keelan Cole, uh, Denzel Mims going into his sophomore year. Hopefully, he'll be healthy. They retain Jamison Crowder. Um, they retain Vincent Smith. It's going to be really interesting to see how uh, all of these pieces put the, get put together within this offense to, to see how it performs. But still a big sticking point. Any Jets fan knows this. The offensive line, which has been criminally neglected over the past decade, uh, needs to be addressed. So that, that's something that I'm hoping that will be addressed in this upcoming draft. Yeah, and, and CJ, I want to ask you about the offense, like you're saying, Michael LaFleur is going to be the offensive coordinator. He He's coming from the 49ers as well as Robert Sala. And uh, you would guess that they're going to play a similar offense to the one that we see in San Francisco. Their, their offense is very running back based, uh, very run heavy, a lot of play action. Now, uh, we'll get into the quarterback talking a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about the running back side of things because you do have Le'Veon Bell at the moment, um, and a lot of the free agent signings have been based on wide receivers. But I'm guessing, uh, if not in free agency, we'll look at the draft to see the running back situation um, not resolved but looked at. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now, you know, the Jets went out and signed Kevin Coleman, 
and they've already got a pretty stacked running back room with uh, with Ty Johnson, with Josh Adams, with Michael Pirine. Uh, Michael Pirine is someone I'm very high on. I know not a lot of Jet fans are very high on him, they, just because um, uh, where he comes from, which is the University of Florida, and some University of Florida players in the NFL just really don't translate well. But I, I think that Michael Pirine in this offense will actually cater to his strengths considering that the offense that Michael Four runs is something similar to Dan, to what Dan Mullen ran at the University of Florida, what he still continues to run at the University of Florida. So I think that, you know, hopefully Michael Piran will be able to really, you know, shine in his sophomore season and uh, really make a name for himself in the NFL. That being said, I still expect the New York Jets to address the running back position a little bit more. Don't be surprised if they end up drafting one in the later rounds. So I know a lot of people were talking about drafting Najee Harris if he's there at 23. That's not a guy that I would go after. I want to plug and play center. I have my eyes on Creed Humphrey uh, with the number 23 pick. And I'm hoping that not only do we include Zach Wilson uh, at number two, but also get him, you know, uh, his his center and, a, and, a, and an anchor for the offensive line for the next decade in Creed Humphrey. You mentioned the draft, so let's just get up to the runnings up to the draft, okay? So obviously there seemed to be a, a bit of a tank job last year for the New York Jets where they were vying for uh, the number one uh, draft pick. Um, but when you came up against the Rams, you could obviously not lose that game for some reason. Obviously, were you hoping that you would lose all the games, get that number one pick, or, or where did you stand on it? It's nice to see your team win football games, but you, when you got Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, who would you pick? Well, to me, to, to, to be honest with you, I know that a lot of fans last year, I apologize for the background noise. We got a, got a, a heavy rainstorm here on uh, – uh, on the highway. So um, one of the things with last year, I know a lot of fans were rooting for the tank. Um, I really was just frustrated overall with the way that the team played because I feel like the team quit. And I, I kind of criticized the Johnsons, uh, Chris Johnson in particular, for just not firing Adam Gase sooner. And I know that a lot of people are like, no, keep Adam Gates till the end of the year. He's our best chance at getting Trevor Lawrence. And with the Jets winning the Rams or winning the Rams game, I know a lot of people were, were upset, but I don't think anybody looks for their team to actually lose games, you know, regardless, regardless of what's going on for the season. So it, it was it was okay to see them win where they, fin they finally broke through. But in a way, the, the victory was bittersweet because Jet fans were kind of thinking like, okay, if we keep pace with Jacksonville, because of the tiebreaker, we would get the first overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. So I'm going to be honest, I really wasn't on that bandwagon. I was more frustrated with the way that the Jets played because we really did not see – competitive football last year or even watchable football which was really frustrating yeah definitely now if we move on to the draft obviously you got the number two pick you got the 23 pick in the first round who are you hoping obviously there's a lot of people saying Zach Wilson are you are you a Zach Wilson fan yourself to be honest with you if you go and take a look between Zach Wilson and Justin Fields it's actually like splitting hairs I actually uh, went on a podcast not too long ago called the Thomas Take podcast with uh Mr. Ryan Thomas, he's a Buffalo Bills fan and also covers 
uh, the major- uh, also covers the AFC East in its entirety. And I, I had said to him that I just felt like there were, so- there were really good qualities about Justin Fields and there were really good qualities about Zach Wilson. And it all basically depends on which guy do you draft that you think is a better fit for your offensive system that you're playing. So, and many times we've seen the New York Jets franchise try to jam the square peg in the round hole. And I think that we learned our lesson with the drafting of Sam Donald because we, we failed Sam when we drafted him. We drafted him into a toxic situation, but also unfortunately Sam did not really do anything himself in the three years that he was here to kind of force the issue that he could still be the guy on his center for the New York Jets. So I think it was a mutual parting of the ways that there was much, much needed on both ends. Now that go ahead. So that being said, to me, I like Zach Wilson. I think that Zach Wilson um, fits this offense better. And I think he can be a day one starter provided we get this offensive line where we need it to be. So there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be a learning curve. And really the biggest thing, which is there's one word that is not in a Jets fan's vocabulary, which is the word patience. Uh, and that's what I think is going to be needed with uh, young, young Zach Wilson when, uh, when he gets selected with number two, uh, number two overall. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, obviously, you had a, had the number two pick, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sam Darnold was shipped off to the Carolina Panthers. How did you feel about that? Did you want to keep Darnold and draft some um, some uh, brilliant player at number two and then 23, or were you happy to send him off, get the picks back, and rebuild the franchise? It's unfortunate but... You know, we did not see enough from Sam Darnold or Joe Douglas to make a, a an educated decision or even the coaching staff to make an educated decision that to roll with Sam for one more year when you know you have a good quarterback class coming out this year. So that being said, I was happy that Sam's going to get an opportunity to go someplace else. Um, to Carolina is going to compete for a starting job. The difference between the New York Jets and other teams is that other teams have competitive sustainability. You know, they're able to be competitive year in and year out, regardless of retooling or losing big time free agents because of solid drafting in their, their front offices. And they make smart financial decisions, which helps their team remain competitive. And that's what the Jets are trying to attain. And I think that's what Joe Douglas is trying to attain because he saw it done under Ozzie Newsom in Baltimore. And now even though uh, Ozzie Newsom is no longer there and they have a new GM there, they've still uh, kind of hold true to the Ozzie Newsom uh, model, which is, you know, develop your draft picks, you know, draft a, a draft tier one, tier two guys, even tier three guys that you can go and build and then keep your franchise sustainable. DJ, a quick question. Obviously, you've got your quarterback and your center will be the ideal picks in the first round. It seems like a pretty strong draft for offensive linemen in general. Probably hope to pick up a couple in rounds two and three. Uh, you also mentioned at the start, the running back room, you're pretty happy with. You've also got a couple of wide receivers that are uh, certainly have potential. In your opinion, is is it 
are you expecting as a fan a dramatic turnaround this season or do you think it's going to be a, a process two or three years and maybe speak to not only just your opinion but what's the general consensus of the of the Jets fan base as well well it depends on what day you ask the Jets fan base I'm going to be honest with you because <laughs> you still have you still have a lot of Jet fans that are still incredibly pessimistic claim that they think that the, the team is going to stink again this year regardless that we're, we're going to do we're, we're going to repeat the same mistakes of the past we're not going to develop our uh, we're not going to develop our quarterback we're not going to rebuild the offensive line etc cetera, etc cetera. now that being said there are all the other portion of the jet fan base which is kind of a little bit optimistic now i'm not talking about the green and white goggle wearing ones <laughs> with the pom-poms who think the jets are going to win the super bowl this year and believe me there's plenty of those okay <laughs> But if you talk to some optimistic Jet fans, they think that the team is not as far, not as far off as people think, and they think that a lot of it has to do with coaching. And they kind of have good reason to feel that way. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples really quick. Take a look, most recent, take a look at when Eric Mangini was let go, and then they hired Rex Ryan. Now, with pretty much just a couple of free agents being brought in, now, now that Rex Ryan was head coach and drafting Mark Sanchez, the Jets finished nine and seven, made a deep run in the playoffs and made it to the AFC championship game and basically came within 30 minutes of going to the Super Bowl that year. Okay. Now we go to the next season. Okay. A couple of free, a couple of more free agent acquisitions, etc. Jets make it to another AFC championship game after going 11 and five. OK, now this is just from minor tweaks with the lineup and a changing of the of the voice in the locker room. OK, if you want to go even further back with that, take a look at 1997. The New York Jets when Bill Parcells was the head coach and he was there for his first year. The previous year, the Jets under Rich Kotite finished one in 15 without making any major changes to the lineup, the Jets went from 1-15 to 9-7 and seven and almost on the verge of making the playoffs. Okay? And that's in Bill Parcells' first year. So it is possible. It is possible. Now, that being said, going into this season, unfortunately, I don't have the Jets' schedule up in front of me, but if I had to put a realistic expectation... I could realistically see this team winning between six and seven games and being competitive. Yeah, just, uh, well, just for anyone that doesn't know the, the schedule, uh, the divisions next season are the NFC South and you're looking at the AFC South as well. So, you know, Tennessee, Houston, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Indianapolis, and then obviously on the NFC side, you've got the the Panthers, the Buccaneers, the the uh, Saints, and and the Panthers. But can I ask just about the the AFC in general, uh, CJ? Because you were mentioning about sort of previous regimes and and how close um, the Jets came to a Super Bowl. The AFC, for me particularly, seems to be probably the hardest division to make the Super Bowl in. Um, just because of the sheer quality of quarterbacks in the conference with the likes of Patrick Mahomes, 
Now, obviously, there's still question marks over Deshaun Watson, but he's still a fantastic player. We don't even know if he'll stay in the conference or if he'll be able to play. Josh Allen, you know, there's so many great quarterbacks, and I say it's so tough to get to uh, to progress in the playoffs. And I guess for the Jets as well, I, I want to ask, it would be really difficult for them to make the playoffs considering just the other teams in their division. New England have obviously made all their free agent signings and anytime Bill Belichick is still going to be in charge of the team, he's, he's always going to, they're always going to be dangerous. The Bills have got a really strong side there with Josh Allen getting better year on year. And yes, there's still questions about Tua uh, with the Dolphins, but the team that um, Coach Flores is getting together there definitely seems like one that will challenge for a division as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the Bills right now are the team to beat in the AFC. All right. And not to, they're, they're a hard team in the AFC. Let me, let me rephrase that. They're a hard, they're going to be a very hard team to contend with within the AFC. Within the AFC East, they are the top dog. They are the AFC East champions. They won their division title last year. Okay. The Patriots are looking for a rebound. I still have major question marks in regards to the Patriots. And and also when it comes to Cam Newton, because even though they finished seven and nine, I still think that seven and nine, they they potentially probably should have finished worse. But I digress. The Dolphins finishing at 10 and six. I expect them to have another solid season in which they are going to be competitive. So the Jets have some tough competition in front of them, and the AFC East is primed to become one of the toughest, if not the toughest division in the NFL, not just this upcoming year, but for years to come. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough division to play in. It was a tough division having Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for a long time now. And the AFC East is just going to get stronger with Josh Allen. So it's hard to go from quarterback that is obviously a Hall of Fame to a quarterback that could be Hall of Fame. So hopefully the Jets can get their draft together. They can get a strong team and maybe push for an AFC championship. Well, you personally, for Salah's first year, what, what do you hope for? What I want to see from Robert Sala is I want to see competitive football. I want to see 60 minutes of, <clears throat> of high-energy, high-impact, competitive football. And that's really all I can ask for because <clears throat> you have a team, unfortunately, that has to learn how to win all over again. So you need to learn how to play with a lead. You need to learn how to sustain a lead. You need to know how to come from behind. And most of all, your offense needs to know how to put points on the board. One of the biggest problems with the New York Jets that has been their biggest bugaboo for the past decade has been their defense is responsible for playing 60 to almost 80% of the game on the field. You want an offense that can grind the opposing team's defense into the ground, let your defense be fresh and ready to go for the fourth quarter because if it's a three-point game, if it's a six-point game, if it's a five-point game, you need your defense ready to go to make that critical stop in the fourth quarter to give your offense an opportunity to win the game. And that's what I want to see. I want to see, more importantly than just wins and losses, I want to see competitive football. Give me something to be excited about for the future. Not the garbage that we've had to watch for the past decade plus. 
And I know if there are any Jet fans in this po- in this panel, they f- they know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, there's no there's no Jets fan, but there is a Washington fan, and we had something similar for the last few years. We've been a little bit hard to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. That season was a little bit better, but the couple of seasons before that, it's been pretty miserable. So I feel your I feel your pain, CJ, and I appreciate your passion. And I was nodding along as you were saying that. I was like, yeah. Sometimes when you're at that level, it's not about the wins or the losses. It's just about feeling like you're in the game and not getting whitewashed every single week. Exactly, because we we watched the team last year lose the majority of its game by majority of the games by double digits. And it wasn't even funny. There were times where the Jets last year were completely unwatchable. So you, you, New York Jet fans deserve better. We want better. We've spoken up. Joe Douglas, it, the onus is on Joe Douglas to deliver. And, you know, he's, he's got a lot to prove. And he's got the resources. He's got a lot of draft picks. He's got a lot of capital in which – you know, the turnaround may not take as long as people think, provided you hit on these picks. So, you know, this is all, it's, it, it's, it's all on Joe Douglas now. And it's all going to be, you know, on Robert Sala come training camp and OTAs and mini camps. And, you know, the only thing that stinks is that, you know, now they're going, they're going back to doing stuff virtually um, for the, for the first part of the off season, which I'm not really too happy about, but, you know, I, I want to see mini camps. I want to see these guys, you know, meet each other face to face, be able to work with their coaches, be able to work with their positional coaches, have time to play and to, to learn and to grow together. Because that's the only way this team is going to be competitive is getting everybody in, being able to work with their position coaches, their position groups and go out there and work on their timing. Yeah, definitely. I think we can all agree um, on having that. Being competitive in games, it's always been a huge one. We, The three of us had a, an off-season of, of new coaching hires. We had a, a podcast and we said who, who our favourites were. I think the three of us, the top two were Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala. So hopefully he is the guy that can turn the Jets around and be the guy to get you competitive in games. And I'm really liking what Joe Douglas has done so far in the Jets. I, I have far too much exposure to the, to the Jets as my girlfriend's a fan. So that's that's where I am now. I think that's just probably all that we should talk about at the minute. Now, CJ, where can we find you, your podcast? Where can we follow you? Uh, you guys can follow us on t- <clears throat> on Twitter at CNC Jets Factor. You can follow me at JetsFan0523. My uh, partners in crime, uh, Mr. Kevin Jackson at Spotty Blackman. Uh, Jimmy the Reaper Jardine at Jets by Jimmy. And Harris, uh, our rookie test pilot, uh, Harrison, the Fireball Glazer, at NY Jets TF Media. So, um, also, you can find Weapons Hot every Friday night at 7 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Um, you can catch us on YouTube. Uh, Weapons Hot has a YouTube channel, so be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, every couple weeks, um, we have a show that we do exclusively on YouTube called Weapons Hot After Dark. Um, which is a completely uncensored, unfiltered uh, fans' point of view and outlook on the New York Jets and what's going on with that. Always entertaining. Um, you know, so the, the, by all means, like and subscribe. Hit us up. Uh, we love going back and forth with fans about this team. And even if our opinions don't agree, we still respect everybody's opinion and we get you know, everybody's comments, no matter how bizarre they may be on the air. 
So that way, you know, everyone has an opportunity to interact with us. So uh, hopefully if you guys are, are able to, uh, on a Friday night, Eastern Standard Time, you guys are able to join us. We, we would very much love to uh, return the favor and have you guys join us on the panel. Yeah, for sure. I think all of us would love to come on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. CJ, it was brilliant having you on the show. You know so much about the Jets. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, and for fans of, of our podcast, you can find us on the Dynamo Podcast Network on YouTube, on Spotify. You can find us on Twitter, on the Undercenter Pod, on Facebook at the same name. you got Instagram, TikTok. we got it all. You can find us everywhere. Thanks, Fionn. Thanks, Dara. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, CJ. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Be safe over there.